0: this is concepts where two pretentious sirs quibble over ideas that explain today's world phil shea and steve rose my name is phil shea i am writing for makeaskilljack.com and you can find more writing by me at hittingajack.com
1: steve My name is Steve Rose, and you can find more about me at steverosephd.com, where I write about mental health and addiction.
0: Welcome to Pros and Concepts. Welcome. Today, we're going to be talking about need for Cognition. Steve, what do you know about need for cognition? Do you have a need
1: for cognition? All I know is I, I do have a need for cognition. Quite a very strong need for cognition.
0: Alright, so we should, we should talk about what it is exactly. And In fact, the researchers have talked about how it's actually not, it's not a need, as in like you're going to die if you don't have it, but they do kind of define it, because apparently some people may have interpreted that way before. If I don't get my cognition,
1: maybe I will die of lack of cognition.
0: If you can't turn the ignition on your cognition, then you'll just Enter remission. Ooh, that was good. Got bars. <laughs> <laughs> so what is need for cognition? It's a personality variable reflecting the extent to which individuals are inclined towards effortful cognitive behaviors or activities. So to define cognition, it's basically just a fancy word for thinking. So this whole thing is just the need to think, the need to have mental engagement. Right. Yeah. So I have a ton of notes here. I'm going to try to not make it seem like just a dry psych lecture. Oh, so uh, yeah. I Hope not. <laughs> so it's related to a bunch of different stuff. Let's see what I have first here. So need cognition is broken down into two different categories, broad categories. Personally, I kind of see it more of like Most psych traits, it's gonna be a gradient, somewhere between zero and one hundred. But broadly speaking, they talk about it in terms of high and low need for cognition or high NFC. NFC is just the faster way for them to say it.
1: Do you want to just use the word NFC going forward, just so out of brevity? Yeah, sure. Whatever comes to you
0: as we're speaking. So it's related to a couple other concepts we might have to dive into, like the elaboration likelihood model, which is whether somebody's going to consider an argument or not, the big five personality traits, which we're not going to get too much into to and fluid and crystallized intelligence. Those are, again, all these things we're going to kind of try to touch on just enough that you can understand what it's saying and then move off of it (laughs) because it could all be their own episodes on their own. So need for cognition is related to having a need to structure situations in a meaningful and integrated way. This is more people towards the high end and they need to understand and make reasonable their experiential world. So like making the world make sense. They need to have explanations and understand why things work. I did actually try to find how it was distributed through the population. Cause I don't know like about you, but my sense is that like, maybe this might skew towards the lower. I don't know how it would go, but it feels like a lot of people really don't want to have to put effort into thinking. They don't necessarily find it that rewarding. So I wonder like most of these traits, when we think about a bell curve, the peak of the bell curve is typically at the 50 points, just right in the middle. But some traits tend to skew a little bit lower or a little bit higher. So on this one, it's possible that the peak of that curve could be at like 40, so slightly lower than what you might expect. But I don't have any evidence of that. and I couldn't find anything on it. So we're going
1: to have to assume that it's just normal. So you suspect that most people don't have a high need for cognition?
0: I suspect that, I mean, it's Evo psych, evolutionary psych, which is not super well-founded, but that we in general, even like studying languages, we tend to do what we can to preserve energy. We tend to do what's most efficient to use heuristics and shorthands to decide stuff. And I think a lot of people would rather do that and have mindless entertainment than to be super stimulated. But I could be wrong, because, I mean, I'm not saying everyone, like, there's no smart people at all. It's more just like, I think there's a tendency towards the lower side, is what I'm saying.
1: Right. Well, yeah. There, I mean, there, there's a lot of people interested in things like podcasts, and those are intellectually stimulating. So certainly our audience is... Uh, oh, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, For sure. I mean, like, yeah, I was, I was going to say, <laughs> if you're listening to this, you probably are on the high need for cognition side. Certainly. So Yeah. So to address that more specifically, we can talk about what high need for cognition is generally associated with. There's a bunch these things feel free to jump in at any time so the first point is they demonstrate an intrinsic motivation for cognitive tasks so they don't need an extrinsic outside kind of reward to help them engage in thinking they're going to do it on their own
1: okay so let me put that in layman's terms because it's fancy words there they seek out ways to think learn ponder reflect philosophize have engaging conversations without being either paid to do it forced into it you know having to be compelled in some way, like they're going to get a a degree that's going to get them a job. So they are just being forced to sit through this lecture and read that book, stuff like that.
0: Yeah, in other words, they find thinking rewarding in its own right. They don't need somebody to be paying them or some sort of carrot or stick to motivate them to think. They'll, They'll do it on their own. So these people tend to have increased appreciation for debate, idea, evaluation, and problem solving. They tend to engage in deeper thought processes, which actually protects them from certain biases like framing effects which is just if you frame something with different words you can make people more likely to choose specific options but people who are high needing for cognition are more likely to actually engage with what they're saying and be less persuaded by framing effects like that and they're also less likely to fall for the sunk cost fallacies which is when you've put in a bunch of money or something putting resources towards some end you're not going to keep pursuing it just because you've put resources in if it doesn't look like it's going anywhere
1: right Right. So people who generally just think deeper and like to think a lot and find it rewarding to do so and are not easily persuaded by simple things.
0: Right. Which leads us to, it might seems like a decent spot to talk about the elaboration likelihood model. Ooh, so interesting. Yeah, it sounds so unsexy and boring, I right know, but it just means for some reason they took that very mouthy, wordy label for the effect. But what it is is actually just whether you engage with arguments based on what the arguments are saying. That's the central route to persuasion. And then the peripheral route is the don't think about it, just look for external cues that can tell us whether this makes sense or not. So these people, high need for cognition people, tend to be more willing to engage with the actual arguments, which Typically would require time, motivation, energy, and some sort of knowledge, depending on the area, to engage with it. But they'll actually try because again, they're motivated to think on their own. Right. But it's not all roses, because actually there are drawbacks to being high need for cognition, which is that they are more susceptible to creating false memories. They are more susceptible to biases that have to do with a lot of thinking. So creating false memories is one possible one where they like think too much into the details and like, was that person wearing a red jacket? Oh, and like, did that person look like... And they can start to overthink things to the extent that they might actually warp the recollection of it. One way that I do this all the freaking time is by remembering things semantically. You have called me out being like, oh, you have a bad memory when I'll misremember some specific thing. But when I think back, I don't remember the exact words. I remember what's related in terms of meaning. That's what I mean by semantically. So if somebody said, like, a bunch of sheep or something, like, there's a sheep, a dog, and this other thing, I might misremember sheep as, like, goat or lamb or some other barnyard creature, maybe, that is generally similar to that. And that's more likely to happen,
1: apparently, with people who are high need for cognition, Mm. which I think that's how memory kind of works more generally. Do you not find that? Yeah, thinking of things in terms of categories, yeah, no, I think that makes sense rather than the specific subcategory of the thing.
0: Yeah, I guess... Maybe that's it takes more effort to think about. I don't know why that would be for higher need for cognition people, because if you're low need for cognition, does that mean you just wrote memorize? You don't actually think about what the meaning of it. You're just like, OK, it's just like dog, sheep, cat, red. And it's just like they don't think It's just memorize that verbatim. I don't know,
1: maybe. Right, maybe high need for cognition, you're spending too many mental resources thinking about the relationship between all of those categories and it takes some focus off the actual categories themselves. The actual item itself, yeah.
0: The halo effect is another one that people high in need for cognition are still like kind of prone towards, but to a lesser extent. And just a reminder, if anybody doesn't know what that is, which honestly I don't think most people would because we've never talked about it before, is the tendency for positive impressions to make somebody think that If you see somebody that's very good-looking or very nice, you might extrapolate from that to think that they're really competent even though it doesn't have anything to do with being nice or beautiful we just take one positive attribute and then extend it more broadly so that's less likely with high need for cognition
1: but low need for cognition people do it quite a lot oh it's like a mental shortcut like so pretty much high need for cognition you're less likely to take mental shortcuts
0: exactly actually that is one of the ways that they describe low need for cognition basically those people who are in low need for cognition tend to think heuristically that's the word you're basically reaching around there right
1: reaching around there <laughs> like,
0: yeah. <laughs> yeah like you're you're not saying that exact word but this is the word that would be used in the field that like they're using thought shorthands that might work so like they're more prone to stereotypes they're more prone to just general biases that are i have a whole list of them honestly one of the more interesting ones was representative heuristic which is like if you're a jury member and you see somebody that looks very clean cut and very stylish does that person look like somebody you would think of stereotypically of a criminal? Most people would say no, so they're less likely to actually convict that person. But if that person looks more rough, more mentally unwell, more tattoos and uncampness, those are more prototypical for what they think a lawbreaker would look like. Therefore, they would be more likely to fall for that. So if you think about it, like I think the lawyers have to agree, both sides have to agree on the selection of the jury and they may actually choose to go for people who are low need for cognition depending because they don't want somebody who necessarily picks apart or thinks about the actual arguments because they're probably harder to persuade maybe
1: depends on which side you're on
0: yeah but both sides have to agree so yeah i mean if you're defending somebody maybe or if you're i don't know i think low need for cognition people might be easier to persuade more generally because you can try to on the defense side if you're defending somebody you can make them clean cut and look very respectable and the offense side it could be like you tell a story about how they kicked a dog once Mm -hmm. kicked a dog once bad person yeah exactly even though that dog was attacking their sister like who knows (laughs) but you can just ignore the context mental shortcuts speaking of morality actually high need for cognition people actually have a higher moral capacity is how it was phrased to think and reflect and act on their moral principles i think that makes sense because morality is really complicated and having the time and motivation to actually put effort into thinking what is a moral decision what should i do in that context you have to kind of run through fake scenarios in your head being like what would i do in that or like did i do the right thing there so i think that makes sense what do you
1: think oh that that makes a lot of sense and beyond morality it's like in philosophy they would be calling it doing ethics like you're Just doing everyday ethics more often, which takes up mental bandwidth, which maybe there's a drawback because you can be using that energy to do other things like clean your house and till the fields.
0: I don't know that it's quite that taxing, but like, again, these people find it intrinsically rewarding. So I don't think that it would be taxing because even there's another thing about psychology that is up for debate now because of the replication crisis about how what things actually sap willpower how willpower works some things that we used to think were effortful and always saps people's willpower and some people don't find that to be the case like doing complex math most people find that very difficult and taxing other people don't so in this context somebody who's high need for cognition really enjoys thinking which means that it may not be sapping of their resources really? that
1: makes sense because you know what this is my relaxing like when, when we're we're having this conversation, like, you know, I've had a little bit of a busy day and I'm like, oh, I'm just going to kick back and relax and do some philosophizing and <laughs> get, get recharged again.
0: I just got to relax and have an in-depth talk about research to do with the psychological concept. <laughs>
1: right. And it actually recharges me. But on the contrary, if I'm doing something that is really boring, like at times when I've had to engage in manual labor, but not in like a repetitive fashion where I can just listen to an audiobook, because okay, that's perfect. It feeds my needs for cognition or I can't do that like somebody there like hand me the hammer hand me the nail hold this
0: oh yeah you have to be actually
1: aware oh it's the worst it's the worst yeah I feel the same way and
0: that's why I think This is probably the closest thing you and I have to addictions, which is... Yes,
1: I was going to say that.
0: (laughs) Yeah, because I find that as long as I have a drip of information in my ear, I can do the most boring things ever. Like I can clean the entire house. I can do laundry. I can do any sort of mundane things that might be seen as a chore and not really care because I'm more paying attention to what's going on in my head. And while I'm still paying attention to my hands, it's not a task anymore. Like walking long distances, I don't care. If it was in silence, it would be torture to me. But if I have anything in my ear... I mean, not not anything, because some things are actually really still boring, but that would help significantly.
1: That was literally me yesterday. So I cleaned the whole garage and... I finished most of an audiobook. I'm looking at my Audible account right now. It says my listening time for yesterday was 231 minutes. How? What is that in hours? It's almost four hours. Yeah. yeah. And plus the YouTube videos that I watched on top of that. So <laughs> that was over four hours of listening to stuff just yesterday.
0: Last month, I had almost... 37 hours and May was my most recent one I had apparently 96 hours of listening time but it doesn't matter we're just getting a little self indulgent here so let's get back to You're the topic self-indulgent.
1: but I'm relating to the fact that it it actually energized me so i have my headphones on i'm cleaning the garage and i'm just energized i'm going i'm doing it if i take those off and i'm just focusing on like sweeping the floor i'm like instantly tired instantly just like <laughs> yawning ready to fall asleep dizzy like <laughs>
0: <laughs> what, do you, what do you listen to when you're working out in the gym?
1: It's the same thing I listened to yesterday, my audio books <laughs> on therapy, psychology. Yeah,
0: I mean, I do too. But people, I think, have told me that that was weird in the past. And also, I find that if the book's at all humorous, it's a little bit dangerous
1: at times. Oh, yeah, because you're lifting a heavy weight and then yeah.
0: it's like you start to yeah, laugh. Yeah, not a good time to start laughing. So apparently, this is just jumping back to the research. Back in 1955, this is apparently a fairly old concept, which i surprised to hear because I haven't heard that much about it. It's something I came across on my own, not on my undergrad at all. But they found that even in structured situations, this is kind of related to the moral situation thing, even in structured situations, people who are high NFC see ambiguity and strive for higher standards of cognitive clarity, which is to say that they see that things are still more gray and that they are trying to figure out like conceptually in their head that they understand exactly what's going on and how things work. They'd rather have instead of being like, because I said so, or like we're doing this for this reason. Those are the people like that'll be annoying like me who will be like, but how does make any sense i don't see the connection here between doing this and getting that result so <laughs> a superior might find that annoying because you'd be like i want to know why we're doing this to see if we can find a more efficient way or whatever so undermining their authority possibly
1: oh i know it sounds like a strength but it was actually a massive barrier for me I'm trying to work a relatively simple admin job while like i was finishing my phd and i just did this during the summer it's not in my field at all I was in property management and i was in training and they were just showing me how to like schedule grass cuttings and email people about different properties. I had to ask so many questions that I was so in the weeds I didn't even know how to do the job after. <laughs>
0: Interesting. I don't think I've had quite that issue.
1: And the person's like, you think kind of like an engineer.
0: That is surprising, knowing you.
1: <laughs> no, but it's like an idea engineer. Like doing theory is almost like you make a sense of how things work in a conceptual realm.
0: You need a conceptual framework for it to make sense for you to do a simple tasks. Yeah. But they're like, no, just, just do it. What do you, don't ask questions. Just do it.
1: Yeah. I had to like understand the whole system and, and why and everything's interrelatedness, And I didn't know what to do after. I was stuck. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, good thing you're not doing that anymore.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So one of the
0: things that I found to be a little bit surprising was that people that are higher in need for cognition only have slightly higher verbal intelligence skills. Like the result in verbal intelligence tests is not really much higher and they're actually no higher in abstract reasoning tests. So I can explain that a bit because like I've had relationships in the past where they were very smart, but they were low need for cognition. So that is not... A contradiction because the people have capacity to do stuff, but they don't want to. So it's like me. I'm, like, two meters tall, six foot seven, but I don't have a huge drive to play basketball, despite everyone in my life having pushed me towards that when I was younger. Or
1: despite me pretending you were a basketball star, like we talked about in that last episode.
0: Yeah. Despite all that, I didn't really want to do it. And so people are like, oh, what a waste. But it's, like, the same thing. Like, if you have high intelligence, a low need for cognition, it's taxing, it's boring, you can do it, sure, whatever, but, like, pay me, and then I'll think about it, I guess.
1: Yeah. Those are always the people that, like, everyone says, he has so much potential, he just has to apply himself, you know, like that
0: type of thing. Yeah. Yeah, I mean but like that was how they described me in high school. So I like I don't know if this changed cuz it does seem actually there was research on elderly people who as you get older your cognitive abilities start to decline and those people tended to become lower on need for cognition as they got older as their cognition declined. So it's Possible that, like, it can change up or down is basically what I'm saying, but there doesn't too much research on that. I don't think that. it
1: necessarily changed for you or I. I think we just didn't have the context to really feed the need for cognition.
0: Oh, so me in high school is like you at that job. They're just like, learn this, but why? What is, how does this connect to anything? And they're like, no, you just have to know it. And you're like, huh.
1: Right. And then that's why they always have like assignments and you would like do something completely unrelated to what they oh, asked for. Yeah. Like read various things outside of what was normal and
0: yeah they'd say like do x and i'd be like oh okay and i start with x and i find something more interesting and then i do y and they'd be like bad mark because you did why you didn't follow instructions
1: exactly so need for cognition you started with like the topic of the classroom and then that curiosity got you out of that topic and then it was a high need for cognition that made you do poorly in the actual topic
0: yeah it doesn't bode well for the workforce i guess for me <laughs> but it helps with being an entrepreneur and also i guess it can hurt me sometimes in researching for the podcast because i will go down random venues there's a bunch of the elaboration likelihood model or the big five or these other things that i ended up going down like I, I was just reading an entire page on what he heuristics were when I was waiting for you to be ready but I'm just trying to figure out what things we've talked about still I've got not too much more to say on high need for cognition there's some more specific things about low need for cognition that we'll get to in a sec so high need for cognition people are apparently less likely to attribute higher social desirability to more attractive individuals or to mates so basically people who enjoy thinking more are more attracted to somebody probably for their ability to stimulate their ability to think and them relating on that same degree I guess the same trait than they are on just having attractive partners like if you really like thinking really like talking about ideas you may choose somebody who's less physically attractive who is better at stimulating you in that way and relating to you at that way than if you were to find somebody who's physically attractive but less mentally stimulating right I think.
1: that makes a lot of sense
0: and college students who have high nfc are reported as having higher life satisfaction
1: mm. Hmm,
0: interesting. Yeah, is it. <laughs> more interesting still is on lucid dreaming. What? People who are high on in NFC are more likely to lucid dream more frequently and found that frequent and occasional lucid dreamers scored higher on NFC than non-lucid dreamers, which suggests a continuity between waking and dreaming thinking styles. The researchers have argued that this has to do with self-reflectiveness or self-focused attention.
1: Do you ever lucid dream?
0: Occasionally, very rarely, and whenever I do it's always very frustrating. I didn't dream very often. Actually, it was very inconsistent. And then now that I've come here, it just seems like certain times in my life, just I dream a lot more. Since coming to Brazil, I've dreamt most nights and some of them have been vaguely lucid for moments, but then usually that's just before I wake up. What about you?
1: I think I used to fairly often.
0: It's been a while though. Some people say you can train it, but I don't know, in your dreams, constantly like trying to check digital clocks or turn light switches on and off. To see if they do anything, because apparently in dreams they don't. And I guess another thing is in dreams, you very rarely have or use a cell phone.
1: Oh, that's so true. I never realized it. Yeah, you'd never have a dream of you like using your phone. Like, you know, through the day, you're just like constantly like checking your phone and stuff. But in your dreams, you're not like checking your phone.
0: No, usually I think there, there can be phone calls. I think that's something I've noticed since hearing about that. But you're not ever really scrolling or texting. It seems like written media is just not good. It's just a lot of the time written down stuff doesn't seem to function the same way as reality for whatever reason.
1: Right, right. Never knew that. I mean, it's
0: probably not a hard and fast truth, but we'll, eh, we'll check it out. Think about it. And let us know what you think in the comments below. <laughs> 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 Which we don't have. So In the comments below. <laughs> yeah, so low need for cognition. I only have a few bullet points here. Basically, flip everything we just said on its head for low need for cognition. People, that's the easiest one. But these people need extrinsic motivation. So they need somebody to be kicking them or giving them a reward in order to think. Actually, now that I think about it, like threats usually hinder people's ability punishment. to think. That's That's not a reward. Yeah, but that's an extrinsic Incentive. It's a negative thing that is pushing them to do something. It's an incentive to avoid that. But these people are more likely to be affected by heuristics or personal biases, as we just said, which is one of them was the actor observer bias, which we talked about in episode 10, which is attributing somebody's actions more to a stable personality feature and not to a situation that is going on around them, like that they could be stressed out or rushed or whatever. They tend to engage more with egocentric thought processes, which is like taking themselves into consideration and then kind of making it more revolve around them. And again, the heuristic approach is like stereotypes thinking about whether something could be easily thought of to prove whether it's true or not. And it only has a strong correlation with crystallized intelligence, which is actually really interesting. That's one of those rabbit holes I was mentioning going down, the crystallized versus fluid intelligence. Probably going to do an episode on that later, but I can quickly define it if you want. But I can also talk about other
1: things. I have a ton of research still. Let's go to the other things. You have a a lot of stuff. All right. So
0: apparently need for cognition correlates with epistemic curiosity, typical intellectual engagement, and openness to ideas. So epistemic curiosity was one of the more interesting ones of those, which is the desire for knowledge that motivates individuals Individuals to learn new ideas eliminate information gaps and solve intellectual problems so I mean that's basically what we've been talking about this whole time but, but yeah I mean I kind of do that when I'm like I don't know but actually I just realized I was organizing my notes on my desktop or my laptop and I have one of those sticky notes I have a <laughs> thing oh here it is ongoing research topics I have a list of things that I'm like I need to figure these things out so that I guess, conforms to epistemic curiosity. Like, these are gaps in my information that don't make sense.
1: (laughs) That's hilarious. These are the things I need to figure out. I do not know them. Well, I mean, do you think it'd be interesting
0: to hear some of them? Yes. GDP, why it is good or bad, basically. Salt, is it artery hardening? (laughs) How to do permaculture, populism, stakeholder capitalism, and the cost of entry for renewables. Basically, that's the gist of it. There's repetitive related topics, but that's... (laughs) the things these are the problems
1: i ruminate over
0: no the problems i'm just like these are things that are talked about a lot well i mean like the gdp or salt or populism these are things that are talked a lot about in mainstream stuff and they're talked about with such authority and people talk about them like they know what the hell they're talking about but if you ask them what it means they don't know like a lot of people apparently don't even understand like the basics of how the economy works and that kind of drove me to study economics at one point for fun so, big five personality traits. This is something that, again, we're not going to touch for too long. We're just going to quickly touch it and move off. Why do I keep saying touch? We don't have to... We don't touch it too long. <laughs> <laughs> it's a hot stove. We're just going to quickly... And then gone. Hot potato. Yeah. Hot
1: potato yeah, toss it off. Yeah. Just
0: yeah. yeah. do it. So, so, people, if you're familiar with big five, there's a trait called openness to experience, which people have argued this is the exact same thing as that, but it turns out that it's actually not it actually has some parts that are not redundant so it's very it's like a venn diagram where it's like very very close a lot of overlap but then there's parts that for some reason still deviate so for example need for cognition is more strongly correlated with emotional stability another trait on the big five and activity what is activity and openness to i don't know why i wrote that whereas openness to experience is more strongly correlated with novelty and experience seeking so strangely i guess it's less related i don't know why need for cognition wouldn't be as strongly related to seeking out novelty and experiences, but there it is. It's actually negatively correlated with neuroticism, which is, again, emotional stability, the opposite of that. And that's moderately correlated with conscientiousness, which is like doing what you need to do when you need to do it, following through, etc. So that's that's basically all I'm going to say about the big five. For those who are unfamiliar with that, it's probably going to be nonsense, but I found it interesting since we're probably going to do a topic on that later. We just haven't gotten around to it. Yeah.
1: You love the big five.
0: I mean, it's the personality inventory these days. Myers Briggs is is trash. Please don't use I it. I know I hate how it's used so often. Because people see it as like a more scientific it's they see it as scientific, but it's basically horoscopes. It's a more scientifically presented horoscope situation. But people love it. Even people like jobs hire people to come in and talk about it. Yeah. So it's it's basically a waste of time and money and don't do it just don't bother. We're not so simple to be fitting into 16
1: categories. Yeah, I've had people introduce themselves to me with their Myers-Briggs four-letter category. It's on dating apps a lot. Oh, really?
0: Yeah. It's like, uh, please don't. <laughs> it's like being like a motorist. Please. <laughs> if you want to do that for fun, but like if it's that important that you're listening to it as like one of the few things you mentioned about yourself, mm, reconsider, please. <laughs>
1: but then again, they're not my type, clearly. <laughs> yeah, if they don't use the big five, they're not my type.
0: I'm not going to fault somebody for not using a relatively obscure, less well-marketed personality inventory. That's actually why, this is a whole tangent, but that's why Myers-Briggs is more popular is that it's for profit, it's for pay. A company is promoting it actively, whereas the real scientific research, nobody's earning money from doing that that much. They're not really going out to earn money, they're just trying to figure it out. And so, because I think that is patented i believe i might be wrong about this whole thing but i'm, I'm pretty sure because the myers briggs is patented they are able to go around and start selling it and earn a lot of money as an organization so it's got market incentives to promote it not the truth behind
1: it that's why i've heard that the, the big five is being overtaken by the hexaco personality inventory do you know anything about that
0: Yeah, in short, to answer that question for anybody who's familiar with this, I haven't seen Hexco going anywhere. It adds a humility factor, aka like morality. They've been trying for that for years, but I kind of hope they do, but... Hey, it's not there yet
1: it's getting kind of meta because our need for cognition is showing in the way we're talking about the need for cognition
0: yeah so back on topic <laughs> the need for cognition has only and this is again a little bit surprising it only has a weak relationship with sensation seeking so like seeking out new experiences it doesn't actually have necessarily a high correlation with that it's actually kind of weak and it also has specifically a weak correlation with boredom susceptibility so people who have need cognition are not actually more likely to be bored and i think I find it less stimulating to not be listening to stuff, but at the same time, I realized that I did do a digital detox one time for, I think it was a week. You were there for that. And I avoided all magazines and I basically only used like clocks for digital stuff. So I was reading a lot more and I was thinking, I actually wrote a lot more philosophical stances on stuff. I had a journal that I wrote like a lot more in and yeah, I guess I wasn't bored. I just, I just found other things to think about. Right. Interesting. You can't keep saying that. You can't just keep responding interesting. Okay, my English writing teachers have all said basically interesting is a way of saying something without saying anything or saying nothing while saying something. That's it. Where you're, you're not saying anything descriptive. Interesting can be positive, negative. It can mean anything you want. It's just, it's just filler. So it doesn't mean anything.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I'm just adding in meaningless fluff. Yes, exactly. All right.
0: NFC is also positive related to other theoretically unrelated personality characteristics. So for some reason, it has correlations with... Self-esteem, masculine sex role attitudes. Yeah, and absorption. Absorption is something to do with hypnosis. We'll probably do an episode on that at some point, but it's the ability to become absorbed in a different world or idea. So like watching a movie, really relating and feeling the emotions of the main character that when you leave, you're kind of having this hangover effect emotionally where you're finding yourself thinking still in the same kind of framing as the movie or the main character
1: of the movie. I think I'm high absorption.
0: Yeah, I think you are. And I think I'm moderately high, but it has to do with hypnosis. Again, we can talk about that later. So the reason that it may have to do with the sex role attitudes could be that there are stereotypes associated with men being more rational, right? Mm -hmm. So that's the reason they gave for that, which is actually an interesting thing. If I remember my history correctly, there was a point in history where actually women were seen as more rational and men as more like lusty for life. (sighs) And the argument back then was that, like, men have the drive for life to lead. We're so full of it. We need to, like, really have a really full of it, for sure. Uh, We're so full of energy and gusto. We need to, like, get out there and, like, conquer the world. That's why we should lead. That's why men are in charge. And then women tried to outdo this, I think. I don't remember. There was a flip at one point. I can't remember. Misremembering it, but it's like women were seen as very rational at the time. But then somehow it flips. How did it flip? We revisit that history. <laughs> we'll come back to that later, maybe. Yes. Not this episode, of course. And the other thing that was interesting is that like need for cognition is negatively related to social anxiety more strongly in females than in males for
1: some reason. So a high need for cognition has lower social anxiety.
0: Yeah, which I find surprising. And so here's an example where correlation does not necessarily mean causation. In this case, like sometimes it could be a third variable, like some other random thing is influencing it. But there are some really ridiculous correlations that people have shown, like the amount of rain and like crime or something like that. But in this case, it seems more to do with something called directionality, which is influencing which. Is A influencing B or is B causing A? And so in this case, people have speculated that maybe people who are more careful to analyze their world have a greater sense of mastery and thus higher self-esteem and so they're less likely to be anxious or people who have higher self-esteem may lead them to be more motivated to engage in thinking they think i'm valuable so i'm gonna consider this because my thinking is valuable I'm, i'm a worthwhile person
1: Oh, interesting. Yeah. Could go either way. I actually think it's interesting. I'll just say that. I know. am just pondering. <laughs> I would hope so. Yeah, just pondering.
0: That's it's all you can do sometimes. It's all you can do is just ponder. Yes. Actually say that it may be associated with reduced attention to social cues associated with negative evaluation. So you're just like lost in your own head and you're not paying attention to people reacting negatively when you're talking about stuff. So maybe that's why you have less social anxiety. Oh,
1: that could be it too. Yeah. You're not reading the room. It's like, everyone loves me. (laughs) Or maybe you're not even
0: thinking about it. You're just like engaged with the ideas and not giving a shit whether you are being liked or not. You're like, this is a really... Shut up for a second. I'm thinking about a really interesting thing.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Is this at all associated with being on the spectrum?
0: I did not find anything to do with that. It didn't get brought up at all. I mean, maybe, but I don't know. He's talking about the autism spectrum for those who are not familiar.
1: Autism spectrum disorder as They call it ASD. I would take out the D because it's neurodiversity rather than, yeah, or divergence rather than it necessarily being a disorder.
0: Disorder, yeah,
1: yeah, I would would
0: agree with that. It's probably going to be changed at some point anyway. Right. Need for cognition is also positively related to, I don't know, it seems like it kind of contradicts itself because these are all taken from the same article. Well, not all of them, some of them I did actual my own research, but it's positively related to stimulation. I don't know what that means, but I'll continue. Self-direction and universalist values. And it's also negatively related to the need for security and conformity values. So... Basically, it sounds like openness.
1: I was gonna say, yeah.
0: It means high need for cognition people are more likely to be progressive or left in their politics, or whichever word we want to use, because liberal is one of those ones that's being all over the place these days. That's why I say left more. But because I guess universal is value, seeing that everyone is valuable, we don't need to like just wall ourselves off and the other nations. We're less likely, because I identify with left to be more focused on being safe and secure and conformity. Another thing I did find that was interesting that came up, it's a whole completely different framework, but it it does talk about need for cognition. It's called the, never even heard of it before, honestly, until this research was the Cognitive Experiential Self Theory. Which is just like, could you not come up with something better? That's just like, let's just slap the colors of this thing on it and call it that—the red, blue box. <laughs> like, okay. And so, in this concept, what I found interesting was that they actually found two not correlated, independent traits. So that means that you can have high on both, or low on both, or high on one and low on the other. And so, one is need for cognition, so the one we were just talking about, which they define as logical, verbal, and relatively unemotional traits. The other one was faith and intuition. So that's being intuitive based on images and highly reliant on emotion. So in this framework, what I found that was interesting was that people who are high in need for cognition may not actually be more rational than those who are low in it because if they're high need for cognition, but also high faith and intuition, then they may still go with their gut even though their rationality tells them not to or they'll be more biased because of their gut.
1: Oh, okay. So the, yeah, the need for cognition is kind of like a, a hunger an insatiable hunger for, for knowledge it doesn't necessarily mean you'll act on that.
0: Yeah, I guess engaging with ideas and stuff, but then maybe when you get frustrated, you're like, ah, I don't know, my gut says this, and then you just go with that.
1: Right, but you've like spent several hours learning about researching and overthinking the thing, but then you go with your gut.
0: Yeah, maybe, let's see. So it says, rather, their irrational intuitions tend to be given more thoughtful elaboration than those who are low in need for cognition, and yet also high in faith and intuition. It actually reminds me of something I was talking about today. A friend was talking about some guy that was very smart, but I honestly think he might be a psychopath, but <laughs> or <laughs> something along those lines, we be a narcissist, but they're like, he's very intelligent. So I don't think he's doing these things on purpose. He, he always talks about how smart he is and that he's always very certain he's right. And I'm like, I think that just isn't immaturity. Like a lot of problems that we have, you can be very smart, but you can still keep doing evidently stupid things. And the reason for that, as at least my diagnosis, broadly speaking, is that there's an emotional situation going on that's not being acknowledged. Because people who do rely on rationality ignore the emotional side and think that it doesn't matter and it shouldn't be regarded and we should just ignore it and focus on the facts. But those people tend to actually have a lot of emotional baggage that they're not addressing, which is completely biasing their thinking. What do you think?
1: Oh, completely. Completely. Yeah. The emotions need to be attended to as someone who does counseling. Sometimes this skill at intellectualizing, not just skill, but coping mechanism or comfort or ability to use intellectualizing, it can derail a whole therapeutic process if you don't catch it, because you can spend the whole time talking about the role of dopamine in the motivational system and how the prefrontal cortex regulates the emotion. And you can like know every little facet of of addiction. You could spend the whole time doing this version of psychoeducation. And then all of a sudden it doesn't work. the person shows up and like it didn't work
0: <laughs> that reminds me of people who try to give you advice and they're like oh like just do this like it's for this reason it's like i know the reason it's happening but like i can't stop it and that's the problem <laughs> like i keep doing this thing and i'm trying not to you don't have to tell me i'm not stupid i can figure out like what is driving it it's just that it keeps happening regardless so that that's when you know it's like it's more of an emotional thing it's not to do with the, the rational side you're not stupid it's just a problem that's not being addressed and that's i think you talked about that a couple of days ago to me and about how that's how people give
1: advice, right? Oh, what you yeah, it was that comic you sent me about a man realizing the value of his philosophy degree when he notices someone in the grocery store having an existential crisis. And then he shows up, and he's like, You think, therefore, you are, therefore, you do exist. And the man's like, Yes, that's true. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Yeah, like that's that's all it takes. That's all it, if folks. Pack it in a little philosophy is all little it takes to figure out the world.
1: Pops a man out of his existential crisis. I do exist, but. You know, that's exactly it. Most people think counseling is this irrational process where you just give someone really good advice. That doesn't work at all. Yeah.
0: Okay. So that guy that I was just mentioning, I'm not going to talk too much about somebody that like nobody here knows, but it's like he was saying that he went to therapy and that the therapist told him to do X. And I'm like, that does not sound like therapy to me unless it's a really bad therapist. Therapists don't tend to say, go do X. That'll solve your problem.
1: No. (laughs) Wonder what X was. I'm curious.
0: It was like, move out of your parents' house. It's like, I think you should move out of your parents' house. And it's like, well, that may be a solution. They're not going to do it unless they come to the conclusion themselves. They're probably going to be more resistant if you just say, do it
1: was this person asking for the therapist's opinion on the matter or was it unsolicited and the person wasn't even thinking about it or ready to do it?
0: I don't know. This is second hand information anyway. So,
1: Right. Yeah. So rabbit hole we went down is pretty much saying that this high intellectualizing ability is somewhat of a weakness when it comes to dealing with emotional matters particularly in counseling and people can show up with a high need for cognition and you can be lured into a psychoeducation where they're like tell me more about how the brain works but what they're really doing is avoiding talking about the real stuff
0: yeah that makes sense because it's it's more comfortable to focus on the cold sterile facts than it is to talk about like the emotional trauma you've been through and how it made you feel and blah 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 because then you're actually having to possibly at least on some level relive it just to describe it right exactly the only things i have left are one the fluid and crystallized intelligence stuff it's basically just going to say what they are to say like that's Low need for cognition people basically rely almost entirely on crystallized knowledge. So I'm just going to quickly talk about that. Fluid intelligence is the capacity to reason through complex and abstract problems. It includes the ability to learn new things and generally declines with age. So it's basically, it's having to and wanting to engage with complex Problems, or at least having the ability to, I think, probably not necessarily des- desire, but the ability to make like complex engagement with ideas, making creative leaps, synthesizing new ideas. That's fluid intelligence, and that goes down with age. And we we'll probably do a full episode on that because I think it actually may have something to do with like why older people can be very set in their ways and not open to discussion. And then the other one is crystallized intelligence, which is stuff that has been a result of prior learning that has become a cemented factual ground for knowledge. It increases with age as knowledge and experience accumulates. So it's like there's actually. Some people talk about how as you get older, you don't want to have your entire identity built around something that requires fluid intelligence. Because if you do, you're just going to feel like you're in the constant decline. Like, say, a musician, there's nothing else besides being a musician. Their skills and creativity and like making interesting new music and sounds is going to just decline with age. It just it is inevitable to happen. It will go slower the more you use it. But if you don't have something that uses crystallized knowledge, something that uses your set, experience and knowledge like say being a history professor or something like that then you probably are going to feel very bad about yourself as you get older like you're, you're over the hill and you've got nothing else to offer which isn't true like you can still teach and help the next generation come up with new ideas
1: right but the teaching relies on the crystallized knowledge generally
0: i think research generally relies on the fluid intelligence because it's like you're making creative leaps towards new venues of research and oh this concept might be related to that concept or the oh these two concepts may actually be related or be the same concept so Yeah, but teaching, like, talking about, like... I know X, Y, and Z, here's how they go. Like what we're talking about right now, the actual facts and research would be crystallized knowledge.
1: Right. So the fluid knowledge is more regarding process, whereas crystallized knowledge is regarding content.
0: Yeah. Like the more fluid episodes we have, like I guess that's just an adjective, but also related to the intelligence fluid. The more like the last episode where we just kind of shot the shit and talked about the thing, that's probably more fluid intelligence where we have to make our own inferences and make connections on the fly. That was a fun episode. (laughs) I'm glad you liked it. I, I really did. So an example of like how somebody might solve a problem. So the example is, there are 100 patients in a hospital. An even number of the patients are one-legged, but they wear shoes. And then half of the remainder of the patients are barefoot. How many shoes are there being worn? So if you just pick a random number, 30 people are one-legged and they wear shoes. And then of the remaining 60 people, half of them don't wear shoes. How many shoes on average are going to be worn? So crystallized intelligence, I just, you don't, I'm not going to make you guys struggle. I guess we could give them a second. But crystallized intelligence would be to like use the things you've been taught in the past like coming up with like an algebraic equation to think about like okay we can actually figure out this problem if it's really important whereas fluid intelligence might do something like if half the two-legged people are without shoes and all the rest an even number of them are one-legged then the shoes must on average be probably one per person so the answer is likely around 100 which is the answer at 100 apparently okay so the first one is like using set structures that you've been taught and the other one is just kind of making inferences that kind of make sense on the fly and will come to an approximate solution depending on how much time the person takes the final thing i have is actually they had an 18 question scale for people to answer to see whether they're high or low need for cognition did you do it no because i actually found there was an even easier scale that was equally valid and equally reliable which is a six question scale i could actually just do it right now let's do it so first question yeah. Two of them are reverse scored. So would be actually minus one points. They didn't actually give the criteria for where you would land, but generally we can going say what they correlate with. So the first one is I would prefer complex to simple problems. Obviously that's high need for cognition. You yeah. say yes 2 I'd like to have the responsibility of handling a situation that requires a lot of thinking. Yep. Again, high need for cognition if you agree with it. Three, thinking is not my idea of fun. So saying yes to this would be low need for cognition. Four, I would rather do something that requires little thought than something that is sure to challenge my thinking abilities. Oh, I hate that. Again, low need for cognition would say yes to this. Five, I really enjoy a task that involves coming up with new solutions to problems. Yep. High need for cognition. And six, I would prefer a task that is intellectual, difficult, and important one that is somewhat important but does not require much thought oh easy yeah so again if you said yes it's high need for cognition apparently this is actually fairly good at predicting whether you are high or low need for cognition though again i think this is probably overly simplified because i think it's, it's probably not a binary of like high or low it's probably somewhere in between a lot of the time of
1: yeah i think we're both pretty pretty high on that scale not to be self-indulgent again <laughs> I think
0: anybody listening to this, up to this episode would be, if you've been listening to like more than like one episode, you probably are high need for cognition or at least somewhere on the higher end of the the scale. It's called
1: concepts. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Click on that. Like, Oh, a podcast on concepts. (laughs) So interesting.
0: (laughs) We've also got pros at the front of that now. Pros and concepts. Maybe somebody
1: who likes puns. Maybe somebody who likes pros.
0: (laughs) Yeah, they're not here for the concepts. They're here for the pros. Yeah. <laughs> we are the wrong, we're the wrong podcast for that because we've really slacked off on getting guests. But we will have some more soon coming up. We actually, some big names in the hopper. Yeah, some some decent names from the YouTube sphere. But that's all we got for today. I don't really have anything to recap because I think it was quite the same idea over and over again. Basically, high need for cognition. You like to think, and you don't need to be motivated to do that. Low need for cognition. You don't like to think. You probably aren't even listening to this. So. <laughs> That's basically it. So, (laughs) high need for cognition people, please go and write a review on iTunes or somewhere where you can actually write something. On Spotify, we do appreciate that. That only takes a couple seconds to give us a five-star rating or whatever you think we deserve. But please give us ratings. Promote us to people. If you think we're doing a good job, let us know. We really do appreciate it. If you're listening this far, then you are our people.
1: Please (laughs) keep showing up. Please.
0: (laughs) Please. We're thanking you. (laughs)
1: Please. (laughs)
0: All right. That's it for us. We'll see you in another two weeks. And thanks for tuning in. All right.
1: Bye. Well, I have very thin skin.